You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we are so blessed to have with us a guest speaker. Uh, He's been here before. He's been a friend of this church, a friend of mine for many years. Uh, His name is Andy Lehman, and Andy has been a pastor for 17, 18 years, somewhere around that range. Um, Has served a number of churches. I served with him on staff at a church in the North Hills here in Pittsburgh. Uh, But his heart is really missions. He's actually done a couple different trainings with our Calvary Cares team over the years uh, on missions and different structures. And uh, one of the things I love about Andy, uh, I got to live with him for a few years in a townhouse, uh, you know, some some of the golden years. Um, Andy is such a deep thinker, but Andy isn't just a deep thinker. He is a deep thinker that always applies what he's thinking about to people. And uh, you guys are in for a treat today. Uh, I can't wait to hear what God's going to do through him and through his, the word that God's put on his heart. So this morning, if you could put your hands together for Andy Lehman as he comes to share with us. Good morning. Nick, thank you. I got really Thanks nervous. Thanks for that awkward hug. You Thank you, good. absolutely. Good. I got really nervous when Nick started talking about um, the, the old golden days because there's a lot of directions that could have gone. So thank you. Thank you for being kind and gentle. Uh, man, what a, what a privilege uh, to be with you guys today. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Pittsburgher uh, that has been sent on mission to the Dallas area to uh, ruffle the feathers of Cowboys fans. Uh, so uh, coming home here today, I've been, been in Texas for about 10 years. Uh, actually met my wife on the mission field in Kenya. And since the last time I've spoken here, a lot of changes have happened in our family. I don't know if we can pop up the uh, family picture, uh, but that's, that's us. So I think the, the first time I spoke here, uh, Pastor Nick, uh, none of those three beautiful little humans existed. Um, this was our best attempt at getting a family photo. When you've got a three-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old, uh, th- that's about the best you can do. This was one of maybe 100 attempts. That was another attempt uh, where our baby is being poked in the eye by our two-year-old. So that's how most of the pictures looked, if you want to see behind the scenes there. Uh, but that's my, my wife, Lindsay, uh, Livy, Zoe, and Eliana. So uh, love them. I think they might even be watching now. So I love you guys. And uh, man, honored to be here today and to just join into this series called Plan A, that God's plan for the transformation of the world is the local church and that there is no plan B. And it's amazing to hear the heart of this community. Uh, just, just to take a second um, and honor Pastor Nick, there, there's not a whole lot of pastors that I know that walk in the humility and the desire to serve. The Bible defines leadership as service. Jesus said, if you want to become the greatest, be the servant of all. And so in my mind, uh, you've got one of the greatest right here is your pastor who has a heart, yeah, who has a heart to serve. I mean, other churches in the community coming alongside, we don't even want to talk about who they are. We just want to serve. We just want to add value. We want to come alongside the heroes in our community and serve them. We want to go to the ends of the earth and take the gospel and serve them. I mean, that's pretty incredible to be a part of that. Uh, And it makes me proud to say, man, I'm... 
we're, we're all in this together. We're all a part of this church, right? Uh, whether it be Calvary Irwin or just the overall concept of this big C church. Uh, and we get to be a part of that. And I think uh, despite uh, the amazing greatness of Pastor Nick, I think if you asked him, he would say, oh, I'm not the church. And I know I have a microphone up here today, uh, but I'm not the church. We are the church, and so I'm gonna make the video guys angry for a second here, but like it's all of us together. We get to be the church because I've got some skills and gifts from the Lord and uh, Pastor Nick does, but so do you and so do you and so do you and so do you and you guys made it today. You braved the cold to come here today to worship the Lord. We're giving, we're serving, we're going to the ends of the earth and this is what it means, plan A, to be a part of it. We're on the winning team and it's just exciting to me. And so why don't you give yourselves a hand? Because I think this is a big deal. We're all in this thing together. We're all a part of this church that Jesus is using to transform the world. And there's been a, a theme. I've listened, listened to some of the previous messages in the series. There's a theme that I've picked up on and that change has come up a lot as we've talked about this whole concept. Because we're, we're living in times of pretty significant change, aren't we? I've been going through a big change myself. You might say, is it having a third child that's three months old? And I would say yes, but I think there's something bigger that I've been going through as well. Uh, I recently got a new phone. Uh, and I don't know if uh, you've gone through that process recently, uh, but I'm typically the person that's like, a, hey, every three years you know, or so, your battery doesn't last very long anymore, and so it's kind of time. Are, there, are some of you like the research the newest phone, like you're ready to go the moment it's released. Anybody like that here? Or maybe some of you, you're still rocking a flip phone and you will till it no longer turns on. Anybody like that? So there's kind of extremes, just kind of somewhere in the middle. Although I would say after uh, 10 plus calls to customer service for the thing that was just to be so easy according to the nice girl at Costco that talked us into this, uh, I'm kind of in the camp now of, you'll pry this from my cold dead hands uh, because I'm not ever switching again, you know? Uh, and so the change is hard. In the end, I think it's gonna work out. We'll be okay because we'll actually be paying less and we got to update our you know three or four year old phones for new ones and paying less for it. So I think eventually I'll forget how painful it was until I do this again. Um, but, but in the midst of the process, change is really difficult, isn't it? And let me give you a, another example that I think might help that after change, we look back and we say, oh man, I'm so glad it happened, but in the moment, it might be challenging. Can we put up uh, that next uh, picture? Does, any, does anybody remember this? Let me, let me ask this. Is there anybody that does not know what this is on the screen? Okay, we got, we got some people. So I think this is, the Bible talks about one generation passing on uh, the, the stories to the next. So, so we've got some people that don't know today. So for their sake, let me just give you a brief recap of, of what this was all about, if you remember. So the year is 2004, and you want to watch a movie with your family in your pajamas at home, on the couch, get the popcorn going in the microwave and enjoy a nice evening. So in 2004, uh, you're excited about the latest Arnold Schwarzenegger film that was just in theaters, and so you wanna watch it together as a family, and so what do you do? 
Yeah, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't turn on your phone, go to some magic app, and just push a button, and it comes on. You don't do that, because that's not a thing. So you go to Blockbuster, because that's where the movies are. So you tell your family something like, I'll be back, because those are jokes that you'd make in 2004. And then you go, and you start your 30-minute round-trip experience to Blockbuster, and you get there, you go to the new release section, and you see there's like five copies of the, the film, and you're excited, but you go over and you realize, actually, it's not copies of the film. It's just the fake cards in front of it. There's nothing behind it. That box you saw up there, all of them are gone. Because see this, I know this is going to be crazy to believe, but it was allotted that five people in your city could watch that movie on that Friday night. And you're not one of them because there's only five copies, right? So you choose your like plan B option because that one's not available from the new releases. And then on your way to the register, you see an old family favorite. So you pick that up too, just thinking, hey, this will be a good backup. You go to the register, you wait in line, you get to the front. Uh, and you pay your uh, $5 for the two movies, and they say, okay, this one's going to be due back tomorrow at 5, and this one's due in two weeks. So now you've got two more trips to go back to Blockbuster to look forward to in the future. So you get home. You're the hero. You walk in with the movie. Everybody's excited to watch it. You pop the popcorn. You sit on the couch. You watch the movie. Now you're exhausted from all of that travel and decision-making, so everybody's tired, so you just shut off your VCR Ask your parents if you don't know what that is. Shut off your VCR, shut off the TV, go to bed. Saturday is busy for the family. And at 6 p.m. on Saturday, you realize, oh, no, we forgot to return the movie to Blockbuster. And you think, no big deal. We'll just take it back tomorrow. So on Sunday, you go back to Blockbuster to return the one movie uh, that was due yesterday. And you wait in line, and you get to the front, and you say, hey, bring this back. It was due yesterday, uh, but it's not even a day late, not 24 hours late. So that's okay, right? And they say, oof, we're going to charge you a late fee. And we say, okay, what's the late fee? And they say, it's going to be $7.50. And you say, $7.50? That's more than I paid for the movie. And they say, no, $750. Because that's how much it was to have a late fee at Blockbuster. Does everybody remember that? Uh, and then they open up the, the, the uh, cassette tape, and they see that there's more tape on the right side than on the left side. And they say, oof, we're going to have to charge you a rewind fee. And then you say, well, how much is that? And they say, it's going to be another 5 And you say, another $5? And they say, no, 500 more dollars, because that's how much the rewind fee was at Blockbuster. And that's how it was. And we loved it, didn't we? We were so excited to drive to Blockbuster, go through that process, and then drive home again, because that's how we watched movies. And then a new service came along called Netflix. And I don't know if, you, there, there might be some people that don't remember this. Netflix was not a streaming service, because streaming services didn't exist. So it was actually a mail-order DVD service but what they did was you just pay your low monthly subscription. You can keep that forever if you want to and never return it. You'll just keep paying that monthly subscription. But there's no late fees, and you don't need to spend 30 minutes driving to the store and back. So they solved a big problem. They made it better. And now we know that's changed again and again and again. Now we've got uh, Netflix and Hulu and, and so many other streaming services where we can just turn on the TV, open the Magic app, and press the button. So we've come a long way. So I think we can all say that's a good change, right? How many are grateful you can just turn on the TV, push a button, and it's right there for you? Uh, but in that moment, it could have been challenging. In fact, it was challenging for a lot of people because what happens when Blockbuster's shutting down, but you don't have a Netflix account? How are you going to get your entertainment? How are you going to get the movies? There's a, there's a transition process, and you have to learn, man, i got to go from uh, having my Blockbuster card that I just scanned to signing up for a whole web-based subscription service, which was new at the time, and it felt like, man, this is a whole other thing to learn. So in the midst of change, it can be really difficult, but we look back on it and we think, man, I'm very grateful for that. 
And I think we're living in times of rapid, rapid change. You know, in 1945, uh, whoever they are, the experts, they said that the rate of human knowledge, the volume of what we know as human beings and have captured and written down and shared, it doubled every 25 years. So every 25 years or so, the volume of human wisdom and understanding doubled. Now today, those same they's or the next generation of they's, they say that our volume of human knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Like that's a pretty rapid shift in not that uh, long of amount of time uh, compared to the overall history of, of, of the world, right? And so things are rapidly changing right now and sometimes it feels like we're always in the midst of change and yeah, we'll look back on some of these things and be really grateful for it, but right now in the midst of it, it feels challenging because it's a paradigm shifting time. And today I wanna look at a passage in scripture of what I would say is probably the most paradigm shifting time in all of human history. And we can look at it, we can see what it meant for them, but I think we can ask the question then, well, what, does that, what does that do for me? What does that mean for me today as an individual and what does it mean for us as a church? And so uh, if you've, you've got the, the Bible app or you've got your Bible with you, we'll put it on the screens as well. We're gonna go to Mark chapter two, verses 18 to 22. And we'll jump right into this. So Mark two eighteen. now John's disciples And the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So just a little context on this. Uh, John the Baptist, I know we read about him in the New Testament, but he was actually the last Old Testament prophet. And so uh, the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. Your Bible is divided into two big sections, right? We've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, this is an oversimplification, but in the Old Testament, one of the primary themes is that God gave the law to his people Israel to follow. So that would include things like the Ten Commandments and then a lot of other things. And the Pharisees were people who decided, listen, we hear all these laws that God has given us, and we don't even want to get close to breaking those laws, so we're going to make a bunch of other laws that keep us uh, further away from that. And, and for, for example, in the law, God commanded his, his people, the people of God, the nation of Israel, to fast one day a year. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said, that's great. We see, we see your one day a year. What if we do it twice? A week. And now that's the teaching that they give to everybody is you should fast twice a week. And, and so there's this law-based performance. We got to do all of these things to, to make sure that God is pleased with us. And if we don't do all of these things, uh, God will not be pleased with us. And in fact, in the social society component of the day, you got your status by keeping the law in, in, in Jewish culture. So if you were a law keeper, you could walk proudly knowing that you were doing all of the right things and people would applaud you and, and they would give you honor and respect. And if you were a lawbreaker, uh, the opposite would happen for you. So these are the people that are existing then. And it's interesting, they say, some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that, that the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? I think what's happening here, and my three-year-old does this to my two-year-old already, if we give them instructions and the two-year-old is not following the directions, my three-year-old has an innate ability to come and say, Daddy, Zoe's not doing what you told her to do, right? That's just like inhuman. So I think that's what's happening here is 
these people are coming to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, your disciples aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Why aren't they doing what all the other religious people are doing? If you're a religious leader, your disciples should be fasting like the disciples of John or like the disciples of the Pharisees. What is, what is going on with this? They're not doing it right. And their focus, their mindset of the culture was all about keeping the law and performing well according to the law to earn the favor of God and people. Let's continue in the passage. Jesus answered them. So how did he respond? How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Now, it's a little complex what he's saying. It seems like he's, he's bringing a lot of other things into this, but here's the simple illustration. The, the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, that he desires, it's a picture of the, the intimate relationship that he desires to have with his people. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm here right now. All of those Old Testament laws, they actually pointed to me. And maybe not the way you think, because the law, the intent of the law was not for us to try to keep the law and keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down on our efforts. The point of the law was to make us realize that no matter how hard we try, we can't do it. I can't save myself, and I can't live a perfect life. And if it depends on me to prove my worth to God, I will fail. And if we judge each other just from their outward actions and never looking at the heart, never getting to understand what's going on in people's lives, we'll also fail relationally. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I'm here. Those Old Testament laws, that old paradigm, that way that you were thinking, this is a paradigm shift. All of that pointed to me, because the whole Bible points to him. The Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. It's the simplest, the Sunday school answer, if you're in doubt, the answer is Jesus. All of it points to him. And so he's saying, listen, the law pointed to me. I am the fulfillment of the law. I'm the one that's coming to live this, the only one that can fulfill it, and I'm gonna do it on your behalf. And so Jesus is saying, why would you fast when, when it's all about me and I'm here? This is not a time to fast. This is a time to celebrate, because a lot of times fasting had to do with mourning. So he's saying, guys, you're missing the point. You think it's all about your performance. It's all about me, and here I am. So why would you continue with that and ignore me? You're asking the wrong question, essentially, is what Jesus is saying. Does that make sense? So... Um, I imagine that they get to the end of this uh, little explanation from Jesus and everybody's looking at him like very confused. Like, what are you, what are you even talking about? This, this, is, this is new to us. So he gives them two illustrations to wrap up this short passage of scripture. And he, the first one uh, is this. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. I think that's pretty self-explanatory what he's saying. But then he ends, this is kind of his mic drop, end of the argument illustration moment to help them get it. He says this, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, I thought maybe... Some of us kind of like blockbuster videotapes might need a little help to understand what a wineskin is. This, this is a very small wineskin. 
Okay, this is, this is a half-gallon wineskin right here. And the way they made wine back in Jesus' day is they would typically trample grapes underfoot in a, in a giant vat, and then they would let that drain down into their wineskins, which were made from uh, typically goat skin. Okay, so the, the size of the, the wineskin really had to do with how big was your goat. Okay, so you might have a gallon, uh, you might have a 10-gallon one. It just kind of depends on, on how big he or she was, okay? And so now you take this wine, you put it in the wineskin, and as, as the, the grape juice is in the wineskin sitting over a period of time, it begins to ferment, and it begins to turn into wine. And in that process, there's gases that are released, and that wine, as it's being made and as it's fermenting, it begins to change the nature of the wineskin, it begins to expand and it gets bigger and it stretches in and it kind of changes the vessel that it's in, in the process of making wine, okay? So Jesus is saying, you guys know all about this because water, clean water access wasn't a big thing uh, back in the day. In fact, a lot of the water was dirty. So a lot of times they, they were all familiar with wine because they drank it at almost every meal because it was the safer bet than drinking water. So everybody knew this analogy of what a wineskin is and what that meant. Sometimes for us, it's not as clear. So we need, we need a little bit more unpacking of what that is. So Jesus says, you don't put new wine into an old wineskin, meaning you don't take the new thing that's, that's, that's taking place and, and force it into the old because if you put it in an old wineskin, that new wine is gonna ferment even more. And at some point, the wineskin is going to burst because of the gases and the process that's going on. The wineskin will burst, and then you'll lose the wine and the wineskin, okay? He says, no, you don't, don't do that. You guys know this. We don't do that. What we do is we put new wine into new wineskins because that way we know that both are going to be preserved, and we know that, that, that this is the process. We're honoring the process of what this looks like. And so in this analogy, Jesus, I, I think, is, is making a, a significant point and the fact that he's saying, you can't take this new reality, you can't take the kingdom of God, you can't take me, the fulfillment of the law, coming right now and just try to cram it into your old understanding. It doesn't work that way. You can't take who I am, you can't take Jesus and just kind of cram him into your old life and hope for the best. That's a recipe for disaster. What you need to do is embrace a new way of thinking. Really what he was talking about with wine skin is saying, you need a new way of thinking about who I am. And I think here's a profound thing that I never observed before. You know, he had just said, listen, I'm the bridegroom. I'm here. All of this is about me. And then he goes into this analogy about the new wine. I think in a lot of ways Jesus is saying, I'm the new wine that's here. So become, let, let your minds and let your expectations and the way you relate to me Begin to allow that to change because I want to come and I want to fill you. New wine in scripture has to do with the fulfillment of promises. There's so many times in the Old Testament where God says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna cause your vats to, to brim with new wine. Okay, so it's like a fulfillment of promises. There's blessing that comes with new wine. There's joy that comes with it. There's healing. Jesus is saying, I'm all of these things, but in order to receive from me and not miss what I've come to do for you, you gotta see me differently than you're seeing me right now. So that's what he is saying to them in, this, in that moment. That's kind of the context. Anytime we're looking at a scripture, I think it's good to say, well, what did it mean to them and what were they hearing? But then the question that we ask today is, okay, cool, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life? What does that mean for me as an individual? And I think, what does that mean for us as a church? 
as we talk about being part of God's plan A for the transformation of the world, uh, there's two, two observations that I would have for you. The first question uh, or first statement as it relates to what does this mean for me is this. Jesus wants to renew your thinking about him. Now, most of us are not waking up, going to the Old Testament, reading the law, and trying to live our lives based on that, or looking at the other religious sources and trying to add to those and live a very strict life based on our performance, right? That's not a reality for us. But in some ways, we are living in a very performance-based culture which is the end result of the law. That is all about our performance and people relate to us and we relate even to God based on our performance. And it's drilled into us from a young age, right? If you do well in school as a child and you get good grades, then you get to go to a good college. And if you do well in college and you get good grades, then you can get hired by a good company. And then if you do well in that company, uh, you'll make a good amount of money, and then you can get a good car and a good house and all the things that you want, and the more you have those things, the more socially uh, we would give status to you because you've been performing and working your way, even as we would say, up the ladder, right? We live with a very performance-based view of ourselves in the world, and I think a lot of times that works its way into our relationship with God where we think our relationship to him is based on our performance, that we did the things that we knew he wanted us to do and we didn't do the things that we knew he didn't want us to do. But here's the problem with that. That's that same old law-based thinking, and if that's our approach, it's never gonna work. It's just gonna lead us to frustration because we're never actually able to live according to that standard that God has set for us. You know, I I think this, this concept of of uh, religious approaches to things was one of the biggest things that Jesus was coming to, to shift. You know, his, his gospel, if you look at what Jesus came announcing everywhere he went to a new town or city, he said this, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. That was literally like his, his most famous statement that he just repeated. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. Repent in the Greek which is what the New Testament is written in, literally the word means change your thinking. Repentance is not about first a change of action, it's first a change of our thinking. That we thought one way before and now we think a new way. I think what Jesus is saying, listen, you guys are conditioned to think about performance and you're, you're, you're tempted to think that God's approval of you is based on how well you're doing right now and how well you're performing. And you think that if you just do a little bit more, uh, of the things you should, or you do a little bit less of the things you shouldn't, you'll, you'll be closer to God, and, and if, you, if you don't, you'll, you'll be further away from him. And that religious way of thinking, re- religious thinking always leads to two things, distance and delay. So, so it's not, it can't happen right now for me because I have to do something first. I've got to change the way I'm living first. And then it's, 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 uh, it's delayed and there's that distance of saying, it's not right now, but, but if I do enough of this, then eventually I'll get there with the Lord. I'll have the things that I know the word of God says I can have if I just do enough to prove to God that I mean it or that I want it or I'm good enough or that I deserve it. Relationship with Jesus, his, his announcement is the kingdom is here. He's saying there's no distance and delay involved in my relationship with you. It's here and it's now. And there's nothing else that you need to do 
to step into the fullness of what God wants to promise you other than simply saying, Lord, wow, that's so crazy, Jesus, that this is who you are and that you've done this for me and that you fulfilled the law. And right now in the moment, even if I'm in a moment where I've just sinned and I'm, I'm overcome with guilt, I'm overcome with shame, or I'm feeling like, man, I'm not doing enough and I'm striving to do more, even in that very moment, we can just turn to him and just say, Jesus, I repent of that way of thinking and I recognize it's not about me, it's about you. I take my eyes off myself and I look to you right now and I say, Lord, would you come and would you just fill me with your presence and give me your joy and your peace and your heal, all of these things that you are, would you bring it to me right now? That's the power of the gospel. That's why this is such good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. And Jesus said, you gotta repent, you gotta change the way you think about it, but then when you repent, you think, wait, this is too good to be true. This can't possibly be real. There's got to be more to it than this, and that's where you have to believe. You've got to activate the part of you that says, wow, okay, I'm going to choose to align my thinking with you, Jesus, and what you're saying, but now it almost seems too good to be true, so I'm going to have to activate my faith to believe it and say, all right, even if I don't feel it right now, I thank you, Jesus, that you've already done this. You've already made me a new creation in you who has full access to you, and right now I can step into that and receive from you. So Jesus wants to change our mindsets about him, and I think secondly, Jesus wants to fill you and he wants to fill others through you. So we talked about our, our wine skin here. That's kind of like the blockbuster in our analogy from earlier. I've never actually brought a bottle of wine into a church before, but I thought, you know, I think for the sake of the illustration to understand, this is blockbuster, this is Netflix, right? This is how we do wine today, right? We use wine bottles. Okay, so this is the new wine skin of the 2000s, or if you prefer, a box. That's also another option, uh, but I thought that would be uh, overkill to bring that up, okay? So this is what this, and as I think about it, a wine bottle has two functions, right? You could become a wine bottle expert, but at the end of the day, all a wine bottle does is it's filled with wine, and then it pours out that wine. Right? Pretty simple. So you can, you can study all the different wineskins throughout history and all the different wine bottles that exist today. But to a thirsty person who is just desperate for a drink, they don't care. They don't care where it came from. They don't care about the shape or color of the bottle. They just want a vessel that has been filled with wine that can now pour out that wine. And I think in this story, Jesus, he's, he's saying, I am the new wine that's come to bring the fulfillment of promises and blessings to you. I am the new wine that brings joy and healing and peace. And I want to fill you with myself. I want to fill you with my presence. The Bible talks about Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts and, and we open the door and he comes in and he fellowships with us and he takes up residence in our lives. It says that the Holy Spirit is like a, a fountain from within flowing with living water. We see that this, this sense all throughout Scripture, God desires to take up residence in our hearts and to fill us with his goodness. And in this sense, we become the wineskin that chooses to receive that so that we can be filled and so that we can fill others, so that God can fill others through us. Because there's a lot of thirsty people in the world who are desperate for hope, who are desperate to have their sins washed away, desperate for forgiveness, desperate for that sense of wrongness that they live with to be changed into a sense of rightness, for peace, for joy, for all of these things. And we get to be the carriers that not only receive it and are changed by it, but we also get to be the people that pour it out. 
I think that's what it means to be a part of this thing that we call the church, is that we're constantly living in this state of being filled ourselves and pouring out this hope, this life, this joy that we have in Jesus to others. I, I gotta confess something to you. I, um, I've realized that a lot of my life as a, as a church goer and church leader, I've lived with a knowledge-based approach to things, like where I listen to what's being said and I think, oh wow, that's great, I know that now. But as I read scripture more, I'm, I'm, I've been convicted of the fact that the way Jesus taught and the way his disciples responded is less about knowledge and it's more about obedience because you actually won't get it until you put it into practice. And so I've been learning, uh, I've, been, I've been listening to less and trying to live it out more, if that makes sense. Like when I hear something, let me put it into practice instead of just tuning in and consuming the next podcast. So I wanna just take a moment right now, if you're taking notes, or even if you've not been, just to give you two questions that you might wanna ask yourself to help you live this out, what we're talking about. And the first question would be this. In my present season, how does Jesus fill me? I can't answer that for you. We're in different seasons. Now with three young kids, it's busier than it was. And I don't have some of the time that I had before. And maybe you're in a busy season where, man, it's tough to even carve out time to listen to a podcast or read scripture or gather with other believers. And maybe you're in a season where you've got a lot of time to do that because seasons ebb and flow in our lives. But the question would be, in your present season, how does Jesus fill you? And how can you lean into that in this uh, Lenten season that started this past week leading up to Easter? This is a great time not to be religious about the Lent process, but to, to lean into that process as a way to say, Jesus, I wanna encounter you more deeply. And so how does Jesus fill you? What makes your heart come alive in him? Is it getting out in nature for a walk uh, and just fellowshipping with him? Is it listening to some worship music? Is it uh, doing the, some of the spiritual disciplines like fasting? Is it, is it uh, gathering with other believers? I think that has to be a part of it, uh, that we're gathering together and encouraging one another uh, in the midst of this process. But what does it look like for Jesus to fill you? That'd be the first question in your present season. The second one is how... In your present season, how does Jesus fill others through you? Because that's really what, what we are. We are, we are wineskins. We are, we are vessels that contain, are filled with, changed by, and used to bless others with the presence of Jesus. So how, how's he doing that through you these days? Might be good to just ask him and to lean into that. Maybe there's some people specifically that he wants you to pray for. And I would encourage you to think about it this way. I've tended to think about, man, how do I reach the person in the faraway nations while skipping some of the people that are closest to me? So maybe just think about your, your family. If you're married, maybe it's your spouse. How can you be poured out to be a blessing to your spouse, to your kids? Or if you're not, to your best, best friends and your close friends, how can, you, how can you pour out Jesus and fill their lives with this overflowing uh, presence of Jesus that he is filling you with? So I'd lean into those two questions. In my present season, how is Jesus filling me? And in my present season, how is he filling others through me? As we wrap up today, the band can come up. The, the last question that I, I would have is, this is great for me personally, but what does this mean for us as a church? And I would say those same two principles apply. That just as Jesus wants to change our mindset about him so that he can fill us and fill others through us, 
when it comes to thinking about what does this mean for us as a, as a group together, as the church that are gathered together. And even if you're online, you're part of that too. What does this mean for us? And I'd submit to you that there's, there's something special that happens when we come together as the church. And I, I don't even just mean Calvary Irwin. I mean that the church, gathering together with other people who have a heart to see Jesus go forth and be, be poured out in the lives of thirsty people all around them. When we gather together, it, it goes from just being, hey, I can, I can, I've got my uh, half gallon container that I carry. But when we all begin to put those together, uh, to, to switch analogies here, uh, if this was a water bottle, there's a big difference in what a personal water bottle can hold versus what a community water tower can hold. It goes from half a gallon to millions of gallons. And there's something that happens when we come together as the church in our unique giftings, our unique wirings, and we, we begin to press past some of the barriers that we feel with one another. We begin to gather, we begin to ask these questions. God, how do you wanna use us? Lord, fill us that we can do exponentially more together than we can do on our own. And there's change that's involved in that, sure. Like with Blockbuster, man, we, I, I was ragging on it earlier, but listen, we loved it at the time. And it's okay to honor the old while embracing the new. And leaning into this question of what, what are the wineskins that Jesus wants to shape through us as a community that are going to allow us to deliver the wine, the goodness, the joy, the hope of Jesus to those who are thirsty, who are perishing, who need it so desperately and they don't even know it. God can do more through us, church, together when we contribute and we come together as one for the sake of the gospel. And let me just say, we're, we're talking about the Big C Church, but this is an incredible church right here at Calvary Irwin that is doing so much for the community, that's doing so much even for nations around the world. And if you're not sure what the next step would be, um, man, there's people out in the foyer you can talk to today at the Connection Centers. You can go to the, the website, to the, the Connect. Uh, calvaryirwin.com and, and, and go to events, go to uh, join a serve team. There's so many opportunities to get involved and to go beyond just your personal expression of being filled and filling others to doing it together with exponentially more impact. So as we wrap up today, um, I feel like maybe the best way that we can close is, is not to focus on doing more, because listen, if you're filled and are constantly being filled, the most natural thing is simply to overflow. So rather than talking about, hey, we gotta go do this and go do this, I was just sensing the Holy Spirit saying, man, maybe there's some people here today that are just feeling a little dry. You're feeling a little thirsty. Maybe you're feeling a little anxious and you need some of that peace that Jesus brings. Maybe you're feeling depressed and you need some of the joy that comes with Jesus comes. Maybe you're feeling like, man, I'm just not doing it right and you need the righteousness of Jesus to come and just fill you today and release all that shame and all that guilt. Maybe you just wanna say, man, I just want more of you, Lord. Renew my mindset because I know there's, there's things where I, I, I hesitate or I perform rather than just coming to you knowing that you've made all the provision for me. You'll fulfill the law. You went to the cross. You took my sin, my sickness, my shame, and it died with you, and now you bring me new life. So maybe today you just say, I need that. I'm thirsty. I need a drink. If that's you today, I just wanna pray with you. Quick prayer, 
And I'm just gonna ask you, if that's you, if you say, man, I'm thirsty, I want more of that, I want Jesus, Jesus, come fill me today. If that's you, just stand at your seat, right where you are. If you would say today, man, I just want more of Jesus, I just wanna be filled, I just wanna pray with you. And I think just that simple act of standing is a way of just activating your will, activating, like we talked about, um, that belief, that sense of faith. So let me pray with those that are standing. I'll give you one more moment. Anybody else that would like to stand, I just wanna include you in this prayer. And all of us, I think we can just pray. Let me, let me pray for those standing and even those sitting. Lord, I just pray today that you would fill us. We, we hear your promises. We hear your word. We hear that you are the, the new wine. It's all about you, Jesus. We know the blessing and the provision and the grace and the forgiveness that you bring to us. And so right now, God, I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me, Lord. Would you fill us today? Lord, where, where there's dryness in our hearts, in our minds, would you fill it with new life? Would you bring your joy where there's sorrow? Would you bring your peace where there's anxiety? Would you bring your freedom where there's addiction? Would you bring your grace where there's guilt or shame? Lord, right now, fill us, God, we pray. Renew our mindsets. Lord, that we, we know that you're right here. You're always right here. All we need to do is just realize and take you up on your offer, God. So remind us of that this week. Lord, I thank you for it. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we all stand together? I just wanna pray, even a prayer for us as a church, that God would fill us as a church and use us as a church and lead us as a church. God, thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of your plan A to see the world be transformed. We get to do that together. And God, I just pray, even as a church at Calvary Irwin, God, that you would fill us as a body, as a community, as a family with your presence in increasing ways. Or would you lead us and use us? Would you multiply the impact that we're able to have in our community and around the world? God, would you use us? Would you fill us so that you can fill others through us, Lord? Lead us in how to do that. Show us what our parts are in this process, in your plan that you are leading and you are directing and you want us and are inviting us to be a part of. So lead us, guide us, we pray. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.